Welcome back, champions. It's Running a Play with Coach Clay, and I want to thank you for joining me in the very first season of this podcast. The season title is, O Death, Where is Thy Sting? And that's coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, and the verse reads, O death, where is thy sting? O grave. Where is thy victory? This season, we're going to explore topics about death and mourning, grief and sadness, depression and anxiety. And I'm going to share some of my life experiences with you in hopes that it will help you navigate through yours. No one should have to go through these experiences alone. And no one is exempt from going through these experiences. I hope you will stay with me throughout the duration of the game. So if you're ready, it's kickoff time. Let's go. So what is death? What is death? Death is the end of life of a person or organism. It's the irreversible cessation of all vital functions, especially by permanent stoppage of the heart, respiration, and brain activity. In essence, death is the end of life. In this episode, we're gonna talk about physical and natural death or the death of loved ones. What is physical death? Physical death is the separation of the spirit from the mortal body. And natural death is death occurring in the course of nature from natural causes. Unfortunately, it is natural for us to experience the loss of people that we love. I'm going to talk about my experience with death and how each of those experiences looks a little different. In fifth grade, I had an aunt that used to live with us and she died. And that was one of my first memories of death, dealing with death. Um, I was sad because, I mean, I, I, I could see the heavy countenances of my parents and of relatives, but that was pretty much the extent of it. All I really knew was that I would never see her again because I didn't fully comprehend the extent or the depth of death. And so two years later, 1992, in seventh grade, death completely knocked me off course. My father died. And I was heartbroken. I always thought my father would outlive all of us. 
To me, he was larger than life. He was the first man I ever loved. And he always looked at us, all of his children, as if we were perfect. He treated us like the apples of his eye. I remember once my aunt told us that our father had us so spoiled. But all I, I just knew I was loved. And so the day my father died, I remember that day. I remember him having to go to the hospital. And it didn't alarm me because my father had some health challenges. But he was always able to overcome them. So him going to the hospital was really no big deal. Dad would go to the hospital, they would patch him up and send him back home. But this time was different. We went to my grandparents' house and waiting for daddy to come home from the hospital, waiting for my mother to come and pick us up. And I remember while we were waiting, my grandmother comes in the room and she is bawling. She is completely engulfed in tears. And she looks at me and she says, baby, your daddy is gone. And so naturally my response was, oh, he's gone home. And she looked and she said, no, your daddy died. And I started crying. And I remember, I just stopped all of a sudden. I just stopped crying because surely there had to be a mistake. There was some sort of mistake. My father hadn't died. Not my father. Like, did they know how strong my father was? Did they know he wouldn't leave us? Surely there was a mistake. But when my mother came to pick us up, I realized it wasn't a mistake. And so I had to try to figure out now at 13, how do I navigate through life without my father? Because I wasn't prepared for him dying, you know. At 13, you expect your father to live to see all the milestones in life, you know, see you graduate from school and go to college, get married, have children, whatever it is that you are wanting them to be a participant of. I realized Daddy wasn't ready to do that. And we had made all these plans, you know, my father and I, we would talk about what we were going to do and, you know, if this happened, we were going to do this. We, we would just sit and have these little talks and uh, that was like our time together. And so I couldn't understand what, what life was going to be like now because I, up until that time I had never seen life without my father. He was always there, you know, 
like a lot of little girls I thought my father was the strongest the bravest the wisest you know I could see no wrong in him and so now I have to learn life without him and as a 13 year old girl I remember What, what do we do now? What do we do now? When, when I go back to school, I remember asking her, what, what do I tell the people at school? What is my name going to become now? Do I have to change my name? Because at 13, all I knew was I was my father's daughter. And so now that he had died I wondered what ha- like what happened to me what would happen to my name you know you hear people say what's in a name there's so much there's so much in a name my identity was completely wrapped up in my father you know he was a clay so I was a clay so now that he had died I, I didn't understand what would happen And my mother looked at me and she told me, baby, as long as you live, you'll always be a clay. And that was such a relief to me at 13 because that meant I would always carry a little bit of my father with me throughout life. And so, you know, I started asking questions because I was an inquisitive child, you know. 13, I needed to know things. But at 13, I understood like a child. So my mother had to explain things to me in a way that I would understand and that I would accept. Because I hadn't fully accepted the fact that my father had died. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do when I need to talk to him? Because I'm sure there are going to be times I need to talk to him. She said, if there is a way back, your father will be the one that will find it. And I remember I held on to that hope for a long time. I did. I held on to it. But when you're a child, you understand as a child. And when you're grown, you put away childish things. Even if my father could come back, I don't think I would want him to because I couldn't handle having to live through him dying again. That would be too much. And so the death of my father was kind of life's way of giving me cliff notes on death like you got you got you got to learn this quickly cuz the ball has the game has started the ball is rolling you have to you know get ready and i promise you after that i had to get ready in 1994 2 years later my grandfather died 
and that was also a traumatic experience my grandfather was probably one of the kindest most gentle men I have ever had the pleasure of knowing and so I'm looking at my mother who just two years prior had to bury the love of her life and now she's burying her father and on top of that she has seven children and she's now the caretaker for all of us she does not have her husband to lean on she does not have her father she's just you know having to be what we all need every time we need it and I'm looking at her this pillar of strength and not knowing how broken she possibly could have been you know how life for her had drastically changed without her permission but my mother was a tough cookie and she would say that I'm a tough cookie and so she persevered and it was it was a blessing to be able to be raised by a woman of such great strength such great faith five years later 1999 after burying her father we had to bury my oldest sister and I remember my mother saying it's unnatural for a parent have to bury their child and I the day my sister died I wish I could say I was sad or I was heartbroken I, I was angry I was completely angry I was angry at her I was angry at God I was angry at my I was just angry because surely life should have given us a time out by now. Surely life had seen we had taken some blows and we needed a chance to get our second win, but that wasn't so. The game doesn't stop just because a person gets tackled, you know? And so, here we are, my oldest sister at 33 years old, no longer with us, leaving behind two children for a long time I was angry, I just, I don't think I was able to actually start trying to grieve until the day of her funeral. It was almost as if 
I couldn't cry because I was I was angry. I did not understand it and I did not like it. But it happened. And I know that if if she had any say so in it, it would have been different. But she had played the plays that she was supposed to play. And it was time for her to get out of the game. But still, my mother perseveres. In 2001, two years after we buried my sister, my mother has to bury her mother, my grandmother. I'm just at a loss now, you know. I'm wondering, how is my mother still standing? How is she able to keep getting up in the morning and going on with her life? And I guess it was because she understood. The game didn't stop. It wasn't time for the game to end for us. And so, from 2001 to 2021, there were some other things that happened in between that time. But it was March 20th, 2021, where my life took this unexpected turn because my mother died. With the death of my aunt, my father, my grandfather, my sister, my grandparents, my mother was there. She was the constant. She was the one that we could lean on, we could go to. And so now... I was at a loss and I was very sad. I was not okay. That was that was hard to deal with. The person who is the backbone of the family, the person who is the pillar of strength, is no longer here. Once again, I found myself asking myself, what am I supposed to do now? How do I go on with life without my mother? Because the thing is, there was once a time that my mother lived without me. But there was never a time that I had to live without her. And so the thought of her dying before me, honestly, I couldn't even fathom it. As a matter of fact, I remember one day talking with my mother and I was like, okay, mama, I'm going to 
had some supplemental life insurance, so if anything happens to me, you will be fine. And she was like, why are you getting life insurance on you instead of on me? <laughs> and I told her, I said, Mama, you're going to live forever. And in that moment, I could not actually think of my mother not being with me. That was too scary of a thought for me to even entertain. But it happened. And so even now, I'm still trying to learn life without her. I'm still trying to adjust to the new normal. I'm a little better than I was, but I still have I still have some bad days. And that's okay because it's going to happen. One of the things I I had to learn to do was to give myself permission. It's what I call the power of permission. Giving yourself permission to cry, permission to mourn, permission to grieve, all of those things. Give yourself permission to not be okay for a little while. And so we'll talk, what is mourning? What, what is mourning? You know, saying giving yourself permission to mourn. And mourning is pretty much the outward expression of grief. It's, it's those things that we are able to see, like, you know, wearing black and a person having slumped shoulders, bowed heads, heavy countenances. That's mourning. But the thing with mourning is, once you stop mourning, people sometimes think that you have finished grieving. And that's not true. Grieving is the internal response to loss. It's that deep sorrow for a loved one, a person that you are no longer with. And so sometimes because we have migrated back to our workplaces or into society or we've started going to hang out with friends, posting on our social media. Sometimes people think, oh, well, they're done. They're finished grieving. No, we've stopped mourning. But grieving has no time. It has no strict regimen where you're going to be in this stage for this amount of time, and then you're going to go to this stage. And No, because you can be in a stage, go to another one, and then go back to the stage you previously were in. Grieving is it's difficult and it's hard for some people to understand and 
if you are the type of person who cannot understand why a person is grieving the way they are or why they are grieving for the length of time that they are, count yourself as being fortunate that you do not understand. Because I can go from laughing to crying in a matter of minutes without me having any idea that that's what is about to happen. Because all it takes is a thought, a visual, a smell, something that will remind you of that person and your heart breaks all over. So be kind to people, especially if you know they are grieving, especially if you want to be of help to them, because sometimes you don't know what to do for a person or or what to say, and but you want to be of help. If you do think, if you want to do something, buy them a gift card to somewhere that you know they like to eat or, you know, giving them a smile even if they don't return it. Be kind to them. Do, do not say things like, don't cry because crying is natural crying is not a sign of weakness it's a sign of being human it's a sign of emotion and there's nothing wrong with crying and even I had to I had to learn that that it's okay to cry Not telling a person, I know how you feel. Even though you are in the right headspace with that, you cannot know how another person feels. All of my siblings and myself, we all grieved the same parent differently because we all had our own relationships with those parents. You can take a man and a wife and they will grieve a child that they had together differently. If you care about that person and you want to help them, pray for them, Be kind to them. But trying to get them to think that you know how they feel. You may have an idea. Perhaps you've lost a person, a sibling, a a relative, a friend. But you didn't have the same relationship they had with that person. So you can't really say you know what 
they're going through. You know how they feel. So we have to be careful when we, even though you mean well, sometimes it can be taken in the wrong light. And the thing with death is none of us are immune to it. It does not matter how popular you are. It does not matter how pretty you are. It doesn't matter your age, gender, nationality, economic status. It does not matter. At some point in our lives, we're all going to experience it. Some of us earlier than others. Some of us more often than others. But we're going to experience it. And we're all going to have to take that journey of grieving alone. I, I had a friend of mine who told me, you're not allowing yourself to grieve. And, and this is going to be even harder for you than it already has to be. And he was telling the truth because when we buried my mother on Saturday, I was back at work on Tuesday because I thought I needed to stay busy in order to heal and to start grieving the death of my mother. But you can be as busy as you want to be. Those thoughts, those memories, that heartache, it's there. You can mask it for only so long. And the more you try to cover it up or suppress it, it it seems to get stronger. And when it finally comes to the surface, it can be, it can be a lot. It can even get to the point to where you don't even recognize yourself anymore. I had a person tell me, um, after my mom died, you've changed. You're, you're different now. And that's, that is true. The person I was before my mother died, I'll never be that person again. Not that that's a bad thing. Not that that's a good thing. I just will never be that person again. This life experience has completely reshaped my identity. Who I am. How I see things. How I handle experiences. And so it's a it's a really it's a difficult thing to deal with. It's you know, I have to I have to fight sometimes my feelings even as an an adult Christian woman. I have to fight those feelings of feeling abandoned, you know. 
I, I don't have my mother or my father, but then I have to remember that I'm not alone, that God is with me. He has not left. He has not forsaken me. You know, I, I look at my mother's death as like the snapping of the football. You know, once the football snaps, the game has started. You don't have time to think. You don't have time to react. You just have to rely on what you learn. You have to rely on what you have practiced. You have to rely on what you've been taught because the game is in action. And so it's, it's sort of that same way for me. I have to realize that you know, the game has started and I have to rely on the things that mom and daddy taught me. I have to rely on the things that I've had the unfortunate experience of being able to practice some things dealing with death starting at an early age. I um, I'm still growing. I'm still learning how to deal with it. I'm still taking it one day at a time. I'm learning not to rush, you know. I have to believe that even this experience will in some way work out for my good. I wish I had this play that I could give you where you would be over the death of someone that you love in this amount of time or something that I could tell you where it would make everything right again, but it's not. I don't have it. No one does. I'm just trying to be a good coach and be transparent and let you know. If I could go back and do some plays over, I would. But I can't. If I could call some timeouts, I would. But I can't. But I know this works and this doesn't. And so that's what I'm trying to relate to you. It's okay to not be okay. And you need to do what is going to work for you. If prayer alone works for you, please, by all means, do that. Don't allow anyone to force you into doing something that doesn't benefit you. But if you need a little more than prayer, by all means, do that. I believe it's okay to have Christ and a counselor because you need to be okay before you can make sure anyone else is okay, before you can be a help to anyone else. I can't lift you up off the ground if I'm on the ground with you. So, 
do what you need to do so that you can be or become the best version of yourself so that you can be the MVP that you know you are and I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that for this for this time for this amount of time I'm going to let you go on into halftime get you some snacks and get you something to drink so that you can come back for the second half of the game ready and with your game your head in the game I'm sorry but that's it before we leave I want to give you some of Coach Clay's takeaways something for you to ponder on during halftime number one practice love practice loving yourself practice loving others and above all practice loving God my second takeaway love the people in your life like there is no tomorrow because one day there won't be. Mm-hmm.